Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. You're listening to The Mission. It's Tuesday evening, June the 4th, 7pm. My name is Rachel Hocking. Thank you very much to Charlie Miller on Double Bounce that just came before us. The program, this show, it's called The Mission. It goes from 7 to 8pm this evening. And before we kick off, I'm just going to start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation on whose land I'm broadcasting from this evening. I acknowledge that their sovereignty was never ceded and I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Aboriginal land from wherever you might be listening to this program today, wherever that may be in this beautiful country of ours. I live on Wurundjeri country, but I'm a Walpuri woman. I'm up from the Northern Territory. It's um, a long way from here, but... I'm thinking of home today and thinking of any blackfellas who might be tuning in this Tuesday evening as well. Shout out to you, Mob, and wherever you're from. It's 7.01pm. This is The Mission, a program usually hosted by Yorta Yorta man Daniel James, but uh, he can't be in this evening, so I'm very, very privileged to be joining you instead. The Mission is a program which explores the issues, the impacts, the, sorry, the issues that impact I should say, the lives of Aboriginal people and those who are often at the wrong end of social justice in this country. It's June the 4th, Tuesday evening, and I've got a pretty big show for you. Coming up, you'll be hearing an interview that I did earlier today with filmmaker Ian Darling. Now, he's going to talk about his latest documentary, which follows the final three years of former Sydney Swans player Adam Goods's career. It's called The Final Quarter and it's going to be premiering at the Sydney Film Festival this Friday. Now, I was lucky enough to actually see a preview of the doco last week. I found it pretty confronting. Um, I'm a blackfella myself and I work for NITV normally and I was reporting on a lot of the things that happened in that three-year period, that last three years of Adam Good's career and, and a lot of the shocking shocking racism that came out of this country. I, I can't say that I was that surprised by that period of time, but I know that a lot of people were. Still, seeing the doco, I was really confronted. I, I forgot how awful it was. Um, it's sort of like looking into a mirror because he, Ian Darling, the documentary maker, he made the decision to only use archival vision in this telling of Goodsey's story. I thought that was a really powerful move because you can't shy away from what happened. It's just there. That's that's how it was. It played out on our television screens. Anyway, he'll tell us a little bit more about why he chose to do that shortly. Also coming up in the second half of the show, I'm going to be talking to a young woman by the name of Rona Glynn. She's going to be joining me in the studio. Rona is a Kadich woman from Central Australia, very close to my Walpuri country. She's on a mission to change the way we relate to one another as blackfellas and whitefellas and folk from all different walks of life. 
Part of that involves something called the First Nations Bedtime Stories Challenge. Pretty cool. You're going to hear a little bit more more about what that means later in the program and maybe get a sneak peek of what a First Nations Bedtime Story is. Melbourne's own Triple R. It's the mission. My name's Rachel Hocking and thank you so much for joining me. I uh, started this show by telling you about what we're going to have on and um, we're pretty lucky. We've got an interview which I managed to squeeze in this afternoon with the director of a new documentary. It's coming out. You might have heard of it. It's called The Final Quarter, uh, directed by Ian Darling. And if you're an AFL fan, even if you're not, I'm sure you've heard the story of Adam Goods, and I don't just mean that he's one of the best footy players we've ever had, but about some of the pretty horrific stuff he had to endure in the last three years of his career. And this documentary looks at just that. Let's take a little listen to the trailer. Yeah, look, he's an unbelievable player. He's got two brown lows. He's got three best and first four All-Australians, one of the all-time great players. The AFL fans and officials have expressed shock and disappointment. I've never seen a country so divided about a sporting subject like this. What he's doing is cutting through. He's forcing our nation to talk. It's not a comfortable thing to talk about. It's definitely not a comfortable thing to go through. I decided to stand up, and I'll continue to stand up. That's the trailer for upcoming documentary called The La- The Final Quarter. Uh, it's by Ian Darling through Shark Productions. It's going to be premiering at the Sydney Film Festival this Friday. And it's already got a lot of people talking because the doco has been viewed by quite a few AFL executives, players themselves. I know Adam Goods has already seen it and there's a fair bit of chatter because it doesn't make everyone look that good. Surprise, surprise. If you remember those last three years of Adam Good's career, you might remember that he had to go through some pretty horrible stuff, not only from fans booing, but from some pretty high up people at the AFL who maybe didn't do enough. And um, the interesting thing about this doco is that Rather than interviewing people to talk about that period in time, it only uses archival vision. So I got to speak to Ian Darling. He's not with me live right now. I had a little yarn with him earlier today and I asked him uh, all of those questions and more. I started by asking him why he made this documentary in the first place. If there was a moment in time during that three-year period, that last three years of Adam Good's career which really drove him to make this, and this is what he had to say. Yeah, I think it was on August 1, 2015, the, the day when uh, uh, I was at the Sydney Cricket Ground uh, on that I Stand With Adam day, and I could see the editorials that were coming out and, and the support was building, but I was so upset and so confused and... Um, you know, I just couldn't couldn't believe that the nation was doing this to one of its greatest sporting identities. And um, you know, and, and a few weeks later, he was literally booed out of the game, and we uh, we almost sort of swept the whole issue under the under the carpet. And 
felt that the whole conversation was too difficult to have, so we ignored it. And I thought that was really wrong. And, uh, you know, it took me a while to, to um, get the momentum to work out exactly how I wanted to tell the story. But once Adam retired, it never left me. And um, so in, uh, in 2017, we approached him actually for the second time and, and said, are you, uh, are you okay about us making this film? And he said he was and, and gave it his support. But um, I think part of the, the whole process was me going back and just needing to explore what had happened. And that was, that was motivation enough to make this film. I was going to ask about how Adam had been involved in the film because this documentary doesn't uh, include interviews with him. How has he been involved in that process? He obviously gave the okay. Has he been um, sitting next to you as you've gone through vision? Has he seen the final product? Um, he hasn't been involved at all, and that was that was sort of part of the, the, the quest. Firstly, I just wanted to make sure that by making the film, uh, I wasn't going to add any additional harm or, or hurt to him, and uh, he, he assured me that that wouldn't be the case. But one of the main motivations for, for making the film just out of archival footage, um, and I happen to love films like Senna and Amy, which have used that same technique, was when, when I went back and, and looked at um, the literally hundreds of hours of, of, of commentary, um, I didn't realise at the time how much Adam actually spoke and especially during his period of, of Australian of the year, uh, he was literally out talking about Indigenous issues every single week. Mm. And I had sort of one of those aha moments, and it was not so much um, what Adam said over that period, it was the fact that we as a nation didn't listen to him. And, uh, and I felt that it was something really powerful about going back and playing, playing it long, what, what he said, so that we could see how much... Um, of what he said was distorted or, or not listened to and, and just simple, you know, untruths that, that came out. And a lot of the narrative about around why people were so um, anti-Adam at the time just came from all this misinformation. And, uh, and so I didn't need to go and ask Adam for additional interviews because he would have really been just saying what he said, you know, back then. And this was the power. It's giving us another opportunity to go back and, and really listen with intent to what he said. And, and by putting that in context and in this chronological order, um, I'm hoping that, I, that a lot of people who were perhaps critical and booing have a, have a real reassessment of, uh, of what the true story was. That's a really good point. I mean, at the time, uh, organisa- media organisations like NITV and a few others were covering this quite closely and knew what he was saying about the very real impact it was having on him. And obviously, as Australian of the Year, like you said, he had additional duties to carry out and he was starting to become more vocal about the plight of Indigenous peoples in this country more broadly, not just about racism in sport. Um, do you think that in hindsight we're seeing um, certain media organisations, commentators, AFL executives in a worse light than what we realised at the time? I think what it highlights is, firstly, that there's just a total lack of diversity you know, in the media and, um, and so many um, non-Indigenous uh, commentators were talking about things that they actually weren't equipped to discuss. 
And and I think this is where a lot of the problem happened. You know, it's 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 also a, a, a not, not not that I'm letting them off the hook, but it's a function of this 24-hour news cycle. And you know, a lot of a lot of those commenting in the in the media, um, you know, really really hadn't taken the time to educate themselves around the significance of a indigenous war darts or 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 you know what uh, what what the real history of the country is or or how someone like Adam an, an indigenous person feels when he's being booed and and what context that is and if he says that's hurting me stop mm. um, you know that that's the question. So there was so much debate about whether the booing was racially motivated or not, but there wasn't. There's not much point in asking a non-indigenous person um, whether or not they think it was racially motivated when they're not at the receiving end. You know, we needed to listen and spend a lot more time asking not only Adam but members of the indigenous community, "How do you feel about it?" and Literally, you know, across the board, it was it was absolutely felt as as racially motivated by by Adam and the Indigenous community, and, and that's all we needed to that's all we needed to know. Um, yeah, you know, well, the, the, I think there was this moment when I watched the documentary for the first time last week when you see the frustration on the hosts of the Margrook Footy Show. The uh, Gilly, he's sitting there and, and he's just fed up, absolutely fed up with the way mainstream media have been covering this. And, and like you said, the inability to understand um, Indigenous culture, Indigenous, um, it, the very uh, feeling of being racially abused and what it's like to indi- exist as an Indigenous person in this country. Do you think since 2015 our media landscape has changed much? Not quickly enough, but I but I think I'm just starting to see see greater representation. And I think if anything, you know, I, I hope many things come out of this film and this conversation. But but I, I'm hoping this will be this will be you know one of them. And uh, you know, it was interesting how we how we had to place that conversation within the film. I actually wanted to put so much more of Mangrook in, but I, it, I think it it really lands a blow because it only represents about one percent of the film and mm. and you know that's very much what the commentators are saying as well you know we're we're just not represented and uh, um I, I think i think the point comes across almost you know more strongly by just having it having uh, the, the commentaries as, as a vignette despite the, yeah. the you know the wonderful stuff they're saying yeah, no, absolutely. It, do, it does come across really strong. And, and obviously there are certain people who don't come across as strong in the way they reacted at the time. Have you been surprised by some of the reaction from AFL executives? Well, it, it, actually, the, the AFL have, um, have been incredibly supportive. And I was very nervous at the first conversation um, that I had with, uh, with Gil McLaughlin um, and uh, some of the executives actually uh, couldn't have been more encouraging. And I, I could see when I had the, those initial conversations how much work was actually being done. But it would have been very easy for them to be very defensive and say, no, you can't have any of the footage. But, um, you know, despite this being a totally independent film, they've been very encouraging and supportive whilst at the same time um, really acknowledging that, um, that their institutional response wasn't adequate and, and they really let um, Adam and the code down. And I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, I think that I don't know, but I think uh, a major new statement and initiative is probably going to come out soon from the AFL, and I feel it'll be one of those sort of line in the sand moments, a bit like back in 1995 when 
Michael Long was very much behind the, the creation of their Racial Vilification Act, and it was the, the first act of any sporting code in the world. And I've got a sense that something very powerful will be coming out that will be as meaningful as that. So, um, yeah, I've, I've actually been really, really pleasantly surprised by their, their willingness to, to own their uh, their mistakes um, because you know it it wasn't uh, it wasn't one of their greatest moments at all. Yeah, no, you're right about that. Um, it's look, that'll be something to look forward to certainly. But in terms of just the immediate future of this documentary, it's um, going to be premiering this Friday at the Sydney Film Festival. Do you know how Adam Goods is feeling about this? Has he seen the documentary? Yeah, and and. and not only that, the very first conversation where, when I said, you know, are you okay about this? I also said to him when he when he saw the film, it was back in December. Look, if you're not comfortable with it, we'll actually, you know, we'll we'll put it in the shelf and uh, and you know, it'll never see the light of day. And mm-hmm. he couldn't have been more supportive uh, um, of it. And it was a it was a really difficult moment for him to to watch it. You know, it was such a brave decision that he was prepared to go through it again because, you know, it, it was incredibly traumatising listening to those boos again and, and hearing all the commentary and, and, and hearing the, the, the false notions and, uh, and untruths and, and just seeing the, 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 the horrible commentary coming his way. But also, you know, he, he was quite emotional when he saw the outpouring of support and love at times, you know, so it, it came, it came, the emotion came in many different ways, but um, now after, after he saw it, we sat and spoke for quite a long period of time, and he, he really sees the importance of the film and how it can be used to, uh, as a, as a, you know, as a way of us reassessing and having that, having the conversation that we didn't have and enabling everyone to, to really reassess how they behaved and, and whether or not um, there's, you know, levels of unconscious bias in us all and whether, you know, I think it does reveal that we're all, all capable of, of casual racism, but, but the most important thing is recognising that. And, um, you know, I think that's hopefully something, you know, which will come out of it. But I think, you know, Adam's very encouraging of this, this, sort, of, uh, this sort of conversation uh, which, will, uh, which will come again. You know, there'll be some pretty un- unpleasant... Um, you know, things that happen in social media, but I think uh, I think the code and everyone are, are prepared now for a, for a much more considered conversation. And you're hoping that this documentary is going to be used in schools as an educational resource as well. Yeah, so we've got wonderful philanthropic support for this, so it's going to be um, donated and made available for every primary and secondary school uh, in the country, probably in late September, October, so that it's ready for. The, next year's school year, um, but we're also making it available for, for corporates and for, for registered sporting clubs and anyone who does want to use it, because I think sport's such a great way of having these difficult conversations. You know, it's really difficult to, to talk about racism and, um, you know, I think the way we've done the film is no one's being lectured to. It, it, it invites everyone to have this conversation and uh, and so I'm hoping that these conversations do take place, you know, in classrooms across the country, but but also in sporting clubs and uh, and in in corporations where you can talk about racism or talk about workplace bullying or talk about our own history or talk about the role of media or talk about the way in which um, facts can be distorted to 
to actually cause great harm and and you know even talking about the power of words and language i think you know all of these things are, uh, are sort of uh, made made much easier by telling this story through something as accessible as sport yeah, and I think it goes back to one of those really powerful moments in the documentary where we're reminded when Adam Good said, you know, that racism has many faces and, and at one point in his career it was the face, that face was a 13-year-old girl and he wasn't trying to place blame on that particular person, um, very young and innocent as he said she was, but that it is possible for all of us to be racist and um to be able to call that out and to be able to take responsibility for that and find out where it came from is extremely important. Do you feel that um, there might be a negative response which could overshadow this goal that you have, this enormous goal to have this conversation about such an important part in our recent history? I'm actually optimistic um, because I think it at the time, there was so much noise. Look, inevitably, there's going to be a backlash from certain sectors and there's going to be, you know, the, 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 the typical, um, uh, you know, negative reaction in in social media. But I'm very optimistic that, that we actually are better than that and that, that we, we we are um, prepared to have, a, have another conversation and look at it in different ways. I mean, uh, we've done some test screenings with some schools, and it's been fascinating that um, it, at every school we've taken it to, that the kids have been saying, you know, oh, like I was 13 at the time, and and I thought Goodsy really overreacted, and I just didn't get what he was doing with that 13 year old girl, but wow. now I get it, and now I see the importance of it. And you know, other kids who said, oh, look, I thought he was a wuss, and he used to dive for free kicks, but now I'm so ashamed that I had that opinion, and. You know, it, That's who, incredible. Who, who, who knows? But yeah, but when you see the, the way a seventeen-year-old school student can be transformed in seventy minutes, yeah. um, that, that's where it gives me hope. And you know, even one kid said that that I was the only only one in the family that used to stick up for Goodsy, and 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 you know, I was bullied by my own family who thought I was a wuss. But I'm hoping that I'll be able to show this film to them, that they'll apologise to me. I mean, this was, this was only just a small section of, uh, of schools we took down that we, we showed down in John region. And I thought, wow, if these conversations can happen in every classroom across the country. That's very powerful stuff because those conversations will go home and they'll be had around the, the breakfast table or the dinner table. And that's sort of what's required. Um, and, and I think, again, you know, as I said, with, with sport... It's a way in to have these conversations that someone's not going to suddenly say, "Okay, let's talk about racism." But if they talk about the Adam Goods incident or what's been happening with Eddie Betts or how all the players stood together from both teams this latest round and trying to trying to raise awareness around racism, it, it, it gives us a way in to have a you know, as I say, have a have a productive conversation around these really difficult issues. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Well, I'm excited to see the rest of Australia react to this documentary. I thought it was extraordinary. It's premiering this Friday at the Sydney Film Festival, but if people can't get to Sydney or the festival, how can they view this documentary? Well, we're hoping for a major broadcast in the second half of the year and then, you know, it'll be, as I say, it'll be out around the schools and, uh, and in the community, so there'll be many different ways to, to see it before the end of the year, which is really exciting. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me on the mission this evening, Ian. Great to chat, Rachel. Thanks so much. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. 
To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. You're listening to The Mission. Thank you so much for spending this evening with me, Rachel Hocking. You just heard an interview with Ian Darling. He's the documentary maker who has recently or is about to release the last the final, I should say, the final quarter. Now, the final quarter is a documentary about the final three years of Adam Goods's career. You probably know that those years weren't easy for him. He's spoken out quite loudly about the fact that the reason he left the game had a lot to do with the incessant booing, which he said was racist. Many people uh, I know called racist. I myself have called the booing racist. I don't know where you sit on on that um, debate, but it's kind of a discussion which is coming to an end and you you can't really deny much about the fact that it was racist anymore. I don't think... I think we've gone past that point. And Ian Darling's documentary holds a mirror up to us during that final three-year period of his career in a way like a documentary I've never seen do before because he only used archival vision. And that's pretty... Um, it's pretty full on. There's actually another documentary that's coming out later this year about Goodsy as well. So you might be getting them confused. That other one's going to be called The Australian Dream and it's going to be premiering at the Melbourne International Film Festival. But this one, the final quarter, comes out this Friday at the Sydney Film Festival and it might be airing on free-to-air telly later this year. Hopefully we get more details about that later on. I'm Rachel Hocking and you're listening to The Mission just uh, having a yarn about some really cool things that are happening in the country at the moment. And one of those things is going to be happening in a couple of weeks. A young woman by the name of Rona Glynn, she's joining me in the studio right now. She's a Kadich woman from Central Australia, near my country, Walpuri country. She's on a mission to change the way that we relate to one another as black fella, white fella. Welcome to the show, Rona. Thanks for having me, Rachel. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Who's your mob? My name's Rona Glynn McDonald. As you said, I'm Kadich. I'm from near where you're from, um, mm. in Central Australia. Uh, my family are from north of Alice Springs, up the highway, up near a place called Barrow Creek. And I grew up in Central Australia um, and moved to Melbourne around six years ago to study at university. Wow. Yeah, it's been a journey. Um, so, like you, left country to pursue education elsewhere mm. and um yeah the the project that I'm here talking about is something that's really important to me particularly because I believe that in order to move forward as a nation we need to ensure that the next generation of young people learn about culture and history of our mobs um as you are proud of your culture I'm proud of my culture and all First Nations cultures across the country and I want to ensure that our next generation are too that is pretty deadly. Before you tell us exactly what this project's about, I just want to give our audience a little taste. When I was young, we were told that there was a one-eyed rainbow serpent, Wanambi Kurugutu, living here in Ulumbaru. He was powerful. He is the creator of all these lands. 
I share this story because it's close to me. There's other rainbow serpents all around, but this story is told only here in Papanya, and it's our story, Lurica people's story. How beautiful is that? It's our story. How was it going out and meeting these people on country? It was amazing. So tell me about the project. What is this? What are we hearing right now? So this is the First Nations Bedtime Stories Challenge and it's a project that we created this year. I'm the CEO of an organisation called Common Ground First Nations and we created the space um, to record five bedtime stories from Central Australia to share with all Australians. So as part of the First Nations Bedtime Stories Challenge, we're challenging families, individuals, parents, schools and organisations to spend a day every week from the 17th of June to the 21st of June learning from these stories. So we went out to Central Australia, where I'm from, and put a call out. We were looking for deadly storytellers from across Central Australia that wanted to share non-secret and sacred stories with the world. You would have been spoiled for choice. Deadly storytellers. They're everywhere. (laughs) They're everywhere. We're all storytellers, but we wanted to capture those amazing stories that have been passed down you know, for 80,000 years. Um, so we put this call out, out to the ether in Central Australia and we got lots and lots of leads and found um, three amazing storytellers from three different language groups and we sat down on country and recorded their favourite stories. Which language groups did you end up getting? So we got uh, two literature stories. And that was literature that we just heard a taste of before? Yeah, so that's Gerard Anderson who tells uh, two literature stories. One's the one-eyed rainbow serpent story and he also tells the Bungalungu man, which is like the literature version of the boogeyman. I love that. Um, and we got two Eastern Arunda stories and t- one Pitanjata story. So five stories all up, three languages. And this year is the International Year for Indigenous Languages, so we really wanted to showcase um, some of the amazing languages that we have in Central Australia. So when you hear the stories, most of it's in English, so you can hear, um, anyone can relate to it, but there's also a little bit of language throughout it, so you get to hear the amazing um, first languages of Australia. That's so beautiful. Tell me about the process of getting these stories. Were there protocols, certain permissions you had to get from community before you were obviously able to get your big recording devices out and and share these with the world? Absolutely. We needed to find um, storytellers who had the authority, the cultural authority, to be allowed to tell these stories. But that extends beyond just the individual. There's a whole array of people, traditional owners, elders, um, leaders that need to sign off before a story can be told. Um, there's there's also the process of finding the places that we can shoot and making sure that all the country is allowed to be shot. So um, I'm really lucky to have an amazing producer in my mum, Penelope McDonald. So she worked on this project with me and she did a lot of the, the really hard work around ensuring that everyone was happy. Um, and when you're telling a story as sacred as one like the one-eyed rainbow serpent, you need to ensure that everyone is on board. Absolutely. And look, these stories, you're telling them, it's quite a multimedia project. We heard some audio then, but there's actually visuals to go with this as well. How did you direct these stories? 
this was my first time directing as a filmmaker and I was wow. very scared going into it. I've never done anything like this. Um, I have many filmmakers in my family. Yes, and I you think- do. <laughs> I'm just going to quickly tell our audience, we're sitting um, amongst uh, Aboriginal film royalty. Rona Glynn is the granddaughter of Frida Glynn, who, if you don't know, started Karma in Central Desert, one of our first Aboriginal media organisations in this country. And the daughter of Warwick Thornton, who, if you don't know, he is the director of the very popular Samson and Delilah, which um, probably one of the biggest Aboriginal films in the past decade, and, of course, the recent Sweet Country. So this was your first time at directing, and you come from, like, royalty directing. Yeah, um, it's been a wild journey. I didn't expect that I would make films. I always thought... I'm going to be a bit different, you know. Mm, yeah. You, you're a filmmaker in my family. I was like, I'm going to study economics and I'm going to learn how to do finance. But here I am, I think. As it I've, came back to you. It came back. I think as I've gotten older, I've realised the power of storytelling and how stories have the potential to divide us, but mm. stories also have the potential to bring us together. And they're so powerful, particularly um, when we're trying to shape a new world. So I you know, put myself in the hot seat and challenged myself to pick up the directing role for this one and it was an amazing experience. Um, I was very scared but I feel that um, I've learnt so much about filmmaking throughout this process and how to work with people and ensure that the way you tell their stories is doing their stories justice and I think that's the biggest challenge when you're a filmmaker, a blackfella filmmaker working with blackfellas who aren't from your own culture. Absolutely. Um, I'm not Lurucha, Eastern Aranda or Pitanjata so... It was a real challenge to make sure that I was doing their stories justice. Yeah, trying to make sure that this, um, these incredibly complex stories which have been told for millennia are going to be translated through audio, through visuals. Have uh, the people who were the storytellers of these beautiful bedtime stories, have they heard them and seen them? Yeah, they have. So we've just finished our final cuts and they've all given feedback on them. They loved them, oh, I yes. think. Um, people don't have the opportunity at Bush to sit down and record these stories um, with a film crew. Mm-hmm. I remember Gerard Anderson, when we were going around with the traditional owners um, and getting sign-off on the films, and we rocked up with a film crew a month later, half of them were like, what? <laughs> you brought, like, this film crew's insane. Like, we've never seen anything like this with the drones and everything. Um, wow. So I think just for the communities to be a part of that has been really special and after it's finished, we have people tapping on our shoulders saying, can you please come back um, or come to my community and do this too because it's been such an amazing process. Um, And I think our storytellers, the three storytellers we've worked with, just feel that they know that their stories are now recorded for the next generation and that's the most important thing for them. That's so important for mob but it's also important for all people that they get to get a little bit of a glimpse of these amazing cultures. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. Let's take a little step back to why this project started in the first place. Did you grow up hearing bedtime stories, First Nations bedtime stories? Yeah, I did and they were always very scary. Yes, they were, weren't they? (laughs) I just remember being terrified whenever I heard about tall men. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. So what stories did you grow up hearing? Oh, some of them I can't talk about, but there was um, <laughs> a lot of stories about, you know, people coming and taking you in, in the night yeah. and coming to leave the, your camp. and Coming for naughty kids. Coming for naughty kids, coming for kids that run amok. Yeah. All of that. Um, Keep in line. <laughs> it's, I mean, I think it's a tactic in every single culture in the world, really. Stories to help keep your kids in line, make sure they don't run amok. But I think um, when you hear stories from our country, there's also other layers to them and sometimes you're being told information which you might not know is 
important mm. until later on, until you go through your women's business, you go through your men's business, or until you're ready to hear the rest of that story. You might be fed a little bit, a little bit at mm. a time. What made you want to share these stories, which can be so personal, you know, and, and often it's hard to get permissions to share and you have to go through that process with your elders. What made you so adamant you thought we need to share these with the rest of Australia? Mm. I think that unless Australia can see the amazing teachings of these stories and the things that they instil in our young ones, our First Nations young people, um, they won't recognise how incredible our cultures are in ensuring that we grow up as people that are connected to country that care about our communities and care about our country Mm. I think that through these stories you know there's the scary ones but there's also the other stories that um like the one-eyed rainbow serpent teaches us about how we all need to act like one-eyed rainbow serpents and look after country and if we don't look after country it won't look after us so I think that unless Australians are given a glimpse or Australians and non-Indigenous Australia is not going to completely connect with First Nations peoples because it's some things are our, our things and they're not going to be shared. But I think through giving this, it's a gift really, a gift to Australia that will allow all of our people to come together and recognise that our first cultures are incredible and should be celebrated and embraced by all people. Yeah, absolutely. Have you had any feedback from non-Indigenous people who've heard these stories? Yeah, everyone loves it. Um, it's it's been amazing with the the First Nations Bedtime Stories Challenge website. We've had so many people signing up, and um, there's about, I think around 300 primary schools now involved, which is wow. fantastic. So uh, schools can sign up. Is that sort of like a separate process to signing up yourself? No, anyone can sign up at www.firstnationsbedtimestories.com, um, and it, you can be an individual or a family or a team or a school. We've got. Um, teaching resources that have been mapped to school curriculum for any teachers that want to bring it into the classroom. Um, And this is an ongoing thing. Like, this is its first year, but we're hoping that next year we'll be able to go to a new region across Australia and work with other communities who want us there and who want to record their stories for the next generation. Yeah, that's beautiful. Now, um, First Nations Bedtime Stories isn't the only thing that you work on. You are the CEO of an organisation called Common Ground, even though you're extraordinarily young. (laughs) Tell me about Common Ground and sort of the broader vision that you have. Yeah, so Common Ground was founded a year ago. We we wow. we launched in um, National Reconciliation Week last year. Congratulations, so one year anniversary. Thank you. Um, it's been a wild ride. So we created Common Ground as a space for Australians to learn about First Nations cultures, histories and lived experiences because we thought that there was a real gap in the space in which non-Indigenous Australia could connect and understand um, online. So we created this online space that has uh, curated and original content and the First Nations Bedtime Stories Challenge is just a part of that um, wider thing that we're trying to achieve. Um, so it's been, yeah, and a, a wild year. We've had 115,000 people use the website and wow. I, I didn't imagine that it would go that far. Um, and now I'm kind of like pulling at my collar going, oh, shit, I hope the content's good. <laughs> I hope everything, you know, is um, has been told as it should. And we, we went about a huge process of ensuring that there were many voices going into the content. And um, That's that, so important, isn't it? Yeah, the biggest challenge is to try and reflect the diversity of mob mm. and I, that's something we're still challenging with uh challenging yeah it's something that's really challenging and will continue to be challenging and i think that through the bedtime stories project we're hoping that we can have other people tell their stories rather than um, a small team trying to get glimpses of culture from across australia we want people to be able to share their own culture 
I think that's beautiful, and I think what you're doing is really, really deadly because I got to have a sneak peek at some of those stories. They haven't launched yet. That's right. What What are the dates for when people can actually log on and hear these beautiful stories and see them for themselves? You can sign up today, but on the 17th of June will be when the first one's released, and we're releasing one every day over the week. So that's very, very soon. It's very, very soon. So uh, go to that website. What was it one more time? www.firstnationsbedtimestories.com Fantastic. Um, I'm going to be checking out a few more tonight, I reckon, because I got a sneak preview and I, they took me back home, i got to say. Like you, like you said, different mobs in Central Desert, but we have stories which have commonalities and go across the country, like the Seven Sisters, like the Rainbow Serpent, and um, you've really taken me back home with these. So thank you so much and thank you for coming on the mission this evening. Thanks for having me. That was Rona Glynn, Kadich woman from Central Australia, joining me this evening to wrap up our episode of The Mission. Episode, is that what we call them? Let's say we do. I've been filling in for the very deadly Yorta Yorta man, Daniel James, this evening, and we're about to switch over to Casey and Clem with super fluidity. So I'm going to take you out with a track, a new track that's been released by the very deadly Gunditjmara and Papua New Guinea woman, Kait with Miss Shiny. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.